Uh, yeah, the next story, Anarude Cool. <laughs> <laughs> While Colleen, you're not amongst friends. <laughs> <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, 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 banter. Listen to all that banter. energy in the room. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, Mr. Steve Barkley to my right. Hello there. To his right, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Howdy. To his right, yeah, we're not done yet. <laughs> Mr. Rick Chant. This morning. So, yeah, we have another special today? guest in the room today, too, who hasn't been welcomed in a few weeks now. Technically, she's not in the room. Twenty, three hundred miles away, in a room. Well, actually, I was, I was talking about cowbell, but we can. Oh, we can. more cowbell! <laughs> Give us more cowbell. Yes, that's the most <laughs> pathetic <laughs> cowbell beating. <laughs> Ryan, tell the people who else we have. <laughs> and our special guest host today is Colleen Connor from Blind Inspiration. Hello, maintaining the female representation What's alongside right? Cowbell. <laughs> our old our old admin assistant in the other company used to call us the Sausage Factory. I can't imagine why. Oh, I can't either. That's so odd. <laughs> yeah, she was she was very kind. <laughs> At the very least, Sausage. kind. Yes, tolerant. I believe the word was tolerant. <laughs> eh. And I'm there, not complaining. And there have been no lawsuits since, so let's assume it's all good. Yeah. Uh, well, hey. Well, that's how you get things done with disabilities, a good lawsuit. <laughs> hey, litigation. Yeah. Unfortunately, she was not disabled and neither were we. But there was a whole lot. No, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, Forget it. Let's, let's move on. Yeah, I don't know where you were going with that, but let's, let's definitely skate. No, we all, we all know where he was going with that. No, he wasn't. No, 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 no. no, no. Thank you for derailing the podcast already. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, okay, we're well, right. What are we going to do with all these people here? Well, Rob, today is the end of the month for what month is it? August. This is our <laughs> monthly news show. So today is all about news. But first, why don't we get caught up with what Colleen's been up to? That's a great idea. Hey. That was a good segue, Ryan. You're getting, cool. you're getting good at this podcast <laughs> shit. Vote <laughs> <About> time. <laughs> Boy, you're going to have a lot of editing to do, Rob. No, that's fine. I'm used to it. Yeah, Colleen, absolutely. Tell us, uh, tell us what you have been up to since we talked to you last. All right. Well, um, I did attend the American Council of the Blind Conference in St. Louis, Missouri, um, and that was in July. And I was representing an app that I'm working with. Um, the company's based out of Dallas, but I work remotely for them. And the app is called Way Around. Okay. And it is a free app for Apple and Android. And it's basically a 
smart labeling technology. So they're using um, these small uh, labels that are stickers, magnets, buttons, clips, and they have an NFC chip in them, near-field communication. And um, you can program these and edit them to be any to say anything that you want. Um, and the button style is um, waterproof and heat and cold resistant. So you can put them right in the washer and dryer and the freezer, stuff like that. Um, and they're all reprogrammable. Um, so it's a really cool new system. Uh, people have said it's similar to the pen friend. It's just that you don't have to buy an additional device. You can use your smartphone. Nice. Um, and we try and keep it costly. And they wanted um, their website and their app to be accessible because it would be, or well, it's often laughable, the amount of people that are like, we have this app for the blind. And the app itself is not accessible, nor is the website. So <laughs> yes. um, I've been working with them doing that. And also I have been planning my next audio description training retreat, um, which the uh, America is going to be creating a certification, finally, for audio describers. Um, so there is going to be a formal certification that you'll need to have in order to be a professional audio describer in the United States. Really? Yeah, and I'm actually one of the people they're considering to be on the um, subject matter expert committee um, because they actually want users of the service involved. And I was one of the people who fought for, you know, you should actually have visually impaired people on the committee as opposed to just describers or sighted people who do the service um, because we are the consumers of the service. And I also happen to, with a um, sighted friend of mine, teach people audio description. So um, that was very exciting. And uh, the applications go in in September, so I'm revving up for that. And, um, yeah, then I'll be teaching another audio description workshop in September as well. So that's kind of my, what I've been focused on for the past little while. So, so could you ex kind of touch on what the implications of um, the certification will, will be going forward once it's finalized? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the American council of the blind has, um, which, of course, is not the only national agency here in the United States, but they are working with um, a, like, disability and it's a very long name that I would have to look up, but it's like the Disability and Rehab Education Certification Society or something like that. And um, they professionally create, what they do is legally and professionally create certifications. Um, so the whole process, as it was explained, is that we'll come up with, um, in order to make up a certification from scratch, you need to have a committee of people that have come up with a bunch of test questions. And then in this case, it's not just, you know, we can't just have people take a written test and then get certified. So part of the test we decided would be practical and mentorship-based. And basically, the implication of this would be we're not sure if people will be grandfathered in or not 
like if you if you've been doing audio description for a long time, if you could take part of the test and then you know show us examples of your description and be grandfathered in and get the certification, or if it'll be a blanket across the board, you have to take this test. Um, and much like getting your CPA, let's say, certified public accountant or something like that, it'll be something that you go to a place like a facility, you take the written part of the test, and then if you pass the written part of the test, um, you would then do uh, practical examples of live theater, museum, art, or film and television, depending on which track you want to be on right. for being a describer. And then you would be, if you you know are found quality assurance-wise to be I don't want to say worthy, but if you get if you do well, um, then you would be certified to be able to describe in that arena. Um, so the implications of that, I think, are that not only will we have a better quality of audio description coming from the United States itself, um, also it allows for other certifications to follow. Um, and in my opinion, I think that there should be also editing and quality assurance. Um, there's no reason why someone who's visually impaired or blind should not be able to be involved financially and professionally with audio description as an editor, as a quality control person, um, or could be involved as, you know, the mentor part of the program. So I think that definitely is going to raise the standard, which means, in my opinion, it raises the pay and also the expectation, um, not only electronically, but also in live productions and live description. And it even hopefully will reach across to the education field. And, you know, when people go to college and they need audio description for, you know, or, you know, even elementary school, um, Hopefully it will reach and people will therefore be more knowledgeable about it. It will become more standardized. And so it has the ability to then reach into different fields where people aren't going, what? You need what? What's audio description? I don't know what that is. So so it'll also that's sort kind of, of. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. So, so it'll also sort of, it sounds like, sort of lend uh, an air of legitimacy to, to the industry as well. And I think that, you know, um, we spoke, uh, we touched on it a little bit last time, but um, at least here in the United States, the deaf community has a very strong united voice. Um, the deaf community very early on was able to get interpreters and captioners, and they've always been paid. Um, you know, I'm sure people could argue that it's not reasonable, but compared to audio descriptions, very reasonable. Um, I know people who get paid, you know, $200 to um, sign a show or caption a show, and the audio describer does it for free. Hmm. So right. it's just also, it's kind of the philosophy I keep telling people, you get what you pay for. So if, if you do ask for a salary, then you are going to get higher quality. Right. So it's a vicious cycle that way. 
So we'll see if they actually want me to be on the committee or not. <laughs> well, they would be foolish not to have you. We'll just we're gonna lend we will we will put our support fully behind you. For Canadian and it will mean nothing. For Canadian <laughs> for Canadian guys. There you go. That's all that, that's right. You put that on the, the application. Letters of recommendation. That's I right. have these four Canadian men. We'll say she's very prompt. She's early. All, whenever if you're going to have a meeting, she'll be early. We can attest to that. Uh, no, that's great. I mean, it, you know, and, and really, I mean, audio description. I, I feel like this is a field that really does need need some some momentum behind it and some advocacy because uh, it's a really important aspect to um, making content accessible and and more more than ever right now. Uh, you know, that's that's really key to the to the community. So. And my, my friend Jan Volgaropoulos and myself, our company is called Audio Description Training Retreats. And you can check it out at adtrainingretreats.com. Um, but we that's one of our main goals is I'm not making a ton of money doing this. I, you know, I'm just, we're very passionate about training people, starting the process, getting people aware of what this is, regardless of their field. So... We've we've had some really good retreats so far and very diverse group of people and we've started quite a good network. So And do you actually retreat? You you get out of out of town or out of wherever you are and sit together in a group to do yes. your training? Yeah. So what we do the style that we have is um we have a lake house that we use it's on lake james in north carolina so it's in the middle of the woods on a lake um, and we provide all of the linens um, towels everything you would need and all the meals um, so we cook breakfast lunch and dinner um, and then it is a very casual style we have the classes in the house um, and then we make sure throughout the day that there's significant breaks so by the end of the three days, you've received 20 hours of training, but we've also had, um, we give you a ton of handouts. Um, you will have described an entire film by the end of at least level one of the retreat. Um, and our philosophy is that it's very hard for your brain to take in things when you have to travel and you're staying in a hotel and there's fluorescent lights and you're there eight to five and you have to pay for your own meals and you have to, you don't have really time to network with people because it's not like you can go out to dinner or something. Everybody's got to get back to the hotel or whatever you're doing. We had been to all of these conferences ourselves and we thought, this is not the way to do this. And so we kind of took a different approach to it, and we're we're very passionate about that. And we've got really good feedback about it. So people are like, yeah, you know, just get away from everything and kind of learn this new craft. And people are very receptive, so it's good. Excellent. Well, you know what? Talking all this talk of audio description sort of segues kind of well into the first news story. First news story we've got is about a new system that purports to allow uh, deafblind people to actually access media. So the way this, this new system works is that it converts TV signals into data that can then be transmitted to a refreshable Braille display and displayed in, uh, in Braille. 
It's being developed by uh, a computer engineer at, in uh, Madrid, at the University of Madrid. And he is working in, in conjunction with uh, the Decapata Foundation in Winter Springs, Florida, to develop this, this app and this tech. And the way that it w would work is that a computer program would pull out the subtitles and visual descriptions from the broadcast signal. Um, the system would combine that information, convert it into Braille, and then another app would send the data out to a refreshable Braille display that would be connected via Bluetooth. So it's sort of a, it sounds like it's sort of right now a mishmash of different technologies trying to um, come together of, as an adhesive. That's right. Um, I don't know. It sounds like, I mean, this, this kind of idea, it's, it's kind of overdue. Uh, I think it, it sounds really great. I, my, my one thought is it sounds a little complicated and it sounds like the, the actual preferred solution, um, I, th I think could be done easier, but it would require again, that, that accessibility at the ground level, but we'll, we'll get sort of get into that. I just want to get your guys' take on what you think of this. Converting television into Braille. My only question: What could was, possibly go wrong? Well, I, I think the tech is is great. It'd be amazing to actually check it out. But my concern is how fast is that Braille going to refresh? Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, uh, well, it says it, it's it's in real time. That that's the goal. Is like how, there's you you would think it would have to go into a buffer of some kind. It would have you to. You, you can't, can't read that fast. Yeah, it yeah. says it says uh, here this is done in real time in less than a second. Yeah, nobody can read Braille at 300 words a second. Or three hundred words. Well, know, minute, we're you know, talking like, about this is this is how fast the, it's converting the the data, right? Which is then going to your refreshable braille display, right? Which is translating that braille in real yeah, time. Yeah, it, it's got to be pulling it off it's and storing it somewhere, somewhere and, so and, and, and feeding back it back it. slower. Sure, would have to. There's only one person that I know that can read that fast. We have her here in town. Well, that's fast though. Like, that's really fast. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Need more information. Said, well, well, I don't know. So, what, well, like what? Like what, what kind of, like what, what, sorry, what's the concern again? Tell me. Nobody can read Braille that fast. It's well, like, but it, I'm assuming that you could, you could probably set the speed. Like just imagine the, the, the way you're talking right now, if that was going Braille. to a Braille display, there's yeah. no way I could read that fast. Okay, but you're assuming, you're, you're making a big assumption there, Ryan, that you have to keep up with this. Well, that's just it. The information isn't there to tell us that it's going to a buffer and then you can go back through it. Yeah. I see. So, right. so yes. I am making that assumption. Yeah. Yes. And you know what happens when you assume? What? Tell Makes me, Steve. Makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> there you go. But don't, like, it, what, what, what I was kind of alluding to earlier is um, the fact that, I mean, subtitles themselves, are they not, like, and, and I'm not talking about live broadcasting. I, I'm talking, I'm, I'm more thinking along the terms of something that, that's pre-generated. Pre so if you have a, a TV program that's being broadcast, um, the subtitles that are showing up have been created ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would assume that it's just a text file. So what, I don't understand what, how hard that would be to take that text file and just convert that to Braille to begin with. And then, and, and then do all this. Like, I, I, I think that if, if this is a solution that, that media companies wanted to tackle 
they could do it. I, I, I could see it them being able to do it fairly easily. Am, am I wrong about that? Well, there's, there's two pieces of information you'd probably want off of that broadcast. You'd want the subtitle information and you would want the audio description track, but you would need the audio description description track converted to text. So, and, you know, they talk about intermixing these two pieces of information. That's, um, that's a trick in and of itself. Sure. So you've got, you know, you, you want to make sure that your description happens at a time that's appropriate relative to the dialogue <laughs> that you're presenting and... Yeah, it's it's. I I think there's a lot more to it than just simply taking the um, the, the signals the, and translating them. Yeah, yeah. Also, it, the article stressed that, that their concern or their desire was for the live, um, which when you have something live, it is being captioned in real time. Right. Um, and it's about it, there's a delay, but um. It, it is. It can be captioned by a live captioner. Um, the, the thing would be that you have. So the audio description would be on the secondary audio track, so the SAP channel, and then you have that and the captions. Um, so I know several deafblind people who've watched television, like let's say a sports game. Um, and they have someone doing haptics on their back, right? Which is um, uh, haptics is like someone um, you know using different hand signals and symbols to basically draw on their back kind of what's going on at the time. And you can have haptics for anything, right. you know. Um, but I do not know, and I mean, as obviously I'm not deaf blind. Um, but I think the main concern would just be I'm I'm similar to the fact that, that there would be no natural flow to that. I don't think you could watch a movie, for instance, in real time with, with dialogue and audio description. You would have to be indicating what was dialogue and what was audio description. Okay, I have a solution was, to that. Who, Who's speaking? Who was speaking and like how, yeah. I, again, I yeah. just, I don't know many deafblind individuals or their braille reading skills, um, but I don't know. It, you it, could, I guess you'd have to pause it, but artistically it would definitely, in my opinion, disrupt the flow of, of a cinematic experience. Sure. I mean, it's a lot of, that would be a lot of information, mm -hmm. pretty, you know, dense pockets of, of information to be transmitted and then through braille which is a slower way to sort of take in that information you, you combine those two and yeah i think i think you're right i think it, it would be pretty challenging but the other thing is that you know not all of us if you say you're blind like for me i have some vision left um so similarly for deaf blind people they might say deaf blind and they might be severely hard of hearing and low vision. So then you have those who may have um, gone deafblind for another reason or later on in their life. And I don't know if it's true for other people, but the Braille reading skills, if you haven't been doing it since you were young, it's, they're not, it, you know, people might not even read Braille mm. or, you know, if you're deafblind, you almost have to, but... It, they might not, you know, be able to do it well. So it just 
Profi- I don't know. It proficiency, depends. yeah. Proficiency would be a big. Well, you got me thinking about haptics for sporting <laughs> events. <laughs> I would think that would work out. That's different. ten minutes ago, Steve. Yeah, I know, but but it's been <laughs> kicking around in my head ever since here. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, there's certain sporting events that that would be okay for, and certain sporting events that wouldn't be okay for. Like, can you imagine haptic tennis? That would be so boring. So, <laughs> tap the right shoulder. Tap the left shoulder. Tap the right shoulder. Haptic boxing. Tap the left shoulder. Yeah, happening boxing. <laughs> haptic boxing. Yeah, the... Body blow. Body blow. Yeah. Headshot. <laughs> yeah, you definitely not want your uh, describer to get too enthused. <laughs> oh, get ready. It's a KO. Haptic <laughs> NASCAR. Just That's right. Going around the track. Yeah. Going around the track. Why is this person drawing a circle on my back? <laughs> the race Whoa. is in full bore. <laughs> Whoa, what happened to you, Bob? Why are you limping? Oh, last, <laughs> last night I, I had a haptics gymnastics uh, experience. Did you see the game last night? <laughs> I felt the game last night. <laughs> Well, we could always take it down to five orange and see what happens there. Right? Oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, yeah, well, you know, that'll be something to, uh, keep, an eye on to, sure. to, to keep an eye on. Um, I mean, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, it just sounds like... Um, sounds complicated to, to combine that, that information in a meaningful fashion. Well, yeah. what, what about a dual display? Well, there are multi-line displays, oh God, so but, like, but like Colleen was saying, you, you would have to distinguish who's speaking, what they're saying, you know. And the context. And the context and the content. And but, even if, but even if you took those tracks and like gave, gave them an option, like even, wouldn't even a sub, just a subtitle track be something that, that a deafblind person might get some value out of? You know, especially when we're talking about stuff like news programs or, I mean, sure, you know, maybe, maybe they're not going to be able to watch Infinity War, um, you know, and, and, make, and make sense of it. But certainly something like, you know, the weather, the news, um, documentaries. I mean, there, there, there would be definitely some value to that. Dave know, jumps in a red car. All, all of that's available through other types of media. You know, I, 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 you know, like a news broadcast. I don't know why a deaf-blind person would want to watch a, a news broadcast if they could just go and, you know, look it up on CNN.com or something and get the whole story in a True. meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, unless you wanted that description of, you know, uh, uh, Rachel Maddow is wearing a snappy pantsuit. You know? <laughs> well. Yeah, it's interesting. I always get nervous too when there's that many pieces of technology to get to work in sync with each other. Sure. Because as wonderful as technology is, it doesn't um, always work. <laughs> it doesn't always work. And for those of us who have, you know, at least for me, I might be tech savvy, but if, if my computer stops talking to me, I have to get a sighted person. I, I have no other solution for that. If I can't hear my computer, then you mean I, you're not I like you're not like help, Ryan. So. He just pushes every button until it starts to work again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try the I try the nineteenth century technology first to kick it, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where I just imagine troubleshooting if something goes wrong is just you know if your internet leaps out or your Bluetooth isn't connecting or you're you know what i mean like there's like a little t- there's a lot of things that could 
go wrong there. It happens to me every week before a podcast. This morning I thought my sound card pooched and I had no audio. I was like, oh my God, what's going on now? Last two weeks in a row it's happened. <laughs> you know, back in the day, Ryan's favorite command used to be format forward slash you. <laughs> <laughs> Unconditional. Just nuke and pave. Yeah. I, I, forward, I formatted my computer again. Can you give me a hand? Oh, my God. It's like you guys would get the phone calls like, oh, it's Ryan again. Steve. <laughs> <Crap>. <laughs> I need to clean it up. Control, alt, delete. <laughs> When are you coming out this way, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on up. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about a little bit about this article about how Google is stepping up its efforts to make its own tech accessible to the disabled, shall we? Uh, over the past, we shall. We shall. Uh, over the past several years, the tech industry generally and Google specifically has been more deliberate about baking accessibility in, into products and beefing up overall resources for the roughly one billion people worldwide with some form of disability. Billion people? Really? Mm-hmm. While most of Google's accessibility efforts center on making its digital products work better for people with disabilities, they believe that the big opportunity lies in finding ways to use Google technology to make the physical world more accessible. So this article goes on about um, you know how it's recently... Google Maps has introduced uh, wheelchair accessible routes in its transit navigation. Oh, cool! That's in, handy. In May at Google I/O, of course, it previewed the the um, forthcoming Lookout app that uses uh, the smartphone camera uh, and AI to sort of it, it, it's basically Google's version of seeing AI, right, Ryan? Yeah, but all done on the device. Right. Yeah. And then it does talk a little bit about. Um, looking outwards and how now a lot of Google reps are sitting in on on um, a lot of web accessibility standards boards and committees and how they are um, publishing accessibility guides for developers, um, you know, giving their, their employees complete um, accessibility orientations. Um, I don't, you know, it, it, we really are hearing more and more about um, accessibility and Google um, specifically. Uh, question to you guys. I mean, have you noticed a real big push by Google in, in terms of accessibility over the past six months? Go the ahead. conferences that I've been to, you can, and, and the, the advances for Android um, certainly, I think, show that um, they realized they were behind. Apple um, is the, their main competitor, I would think. Um, but, you know, realizing that they were behind. And I know that they've been trying to make improvements to talk back, um, which is the equivalent of voiceover for iOS. Right. Um, and so I think they're definitely making a conceited effort to be, I think, cheaper, as in more affordable and accessible. Um, it's becoming more of a necessity it's out there more not just the ada but the 21st century communications act at least here um where you have to things have to be accessible if you're working with the government at all even if you're a civilian you know your stuff has to be accessible um and certainly web accessibility is a huge one now so yeah i think i haven't tried out um 
a lot of these products. I did do a trial run for the Ira glasses. Right. Um, the where you have an agent speaking to you and the glasses are you can use your phone camera or the glasses camera and they're assisting you with you know whatever daily task you want um so it, there's definitely progress being made but um i'm not like in the thick of it but i have noticed i think that google's trying to step it up yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. Although I would say that, you know, f the feeling that I get from sort of watching the news feeds and, and in terms of visibility of, of what any company is doing, I would almost say that Microsoft is a big competitor to um, to Google right now in terms of that. Because Apple, I, I feel like Apple's been really quiet recently in, in terms of accessibility. They have, yeah. You, we just you don't hear much uh, uh, from them at, at all in terms of all this stuff. Um, and, and I don't know if that's because, you know, in, in Apple world, they have bigger fish to fry because they're kind of fighting to to stay relevant, it seems. Um, they've got a lot of competition building against them. You know, iPhones don't fly off the shelf like they used to. So, you know, I don't know sort of what's going on at Apple, but I certainly I'm always seeing stuff from from Microsoft and and from Google uh, about accessibility. I do think I think they're really stepping it up and uh, another news thing is Apple just got sued for accessibility stuff so That's right. They, I think maybe think maybe they thought they were comfortable and <laughs> it was like, "Oh, wait a second. Well, or maybe they were just used to being at the front of the pack for so long that they kind of, you know, took their took their feet off the pedals for a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and put them put them elsewhere, and now everybody else is catching up, and Apple might be falling behind. Yeah. Although they became the first trillion dollar company recently, so well, I'm talking about in, too bad. in the terms of accessibility. Yeah, they're not hurting. I'm sure. Yeah. But, but I mean, in terms of accessibility, um, no, like you like you said, you know, they have been very quiet. You know, even even Google to a certain extent, like you don't hear, I don't anyway. <laughs> hear a lot of talk about any developments on Brailleback, their Braille support on Android. Talkback, I don't see, and I'm on the Talkback beta list, you know, I don't see a whole lot of enhancements being made to Talkback. You know, sure, there's new gestures, and there, there are changes, and they are changes for the better, but you still don't hear a lot about that sort of stuff. You hear about their other departments, like the whole, you know, duplex and AI and Lookout and stuff like that, but... I'd like to see more ground level stuff. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we did watch. <coughs> I mean, we we live tweeted, um, you know, Google AI, uh, I O, mm -hmm. um, and I remember watching the accessibility presentations, and their their accessibility team is still fairly small. Yeah, um, it's not, and and you know, it was sort of the the accessibility portion was sort of relegated to like sort of, you know, the second day, mm -hmm. you know, in the afternoon. It was kind of buried and it, and they didn't really have much in the way of big announcements. Right. And I hope, you know, these these recent announcements are a sign of change at Google. You know, with the push that Microsoft's been doing over the last two and a half years, you know, I really and, hope Google's coming to the table. Yeah, and you know, I don't I don't I'm not sort of I'm, I'm not lambasting them at mm -hmm. all. Um, I'm just saying that you know, I still think that there's, you know, they could be putting far more emphasis on accessibility if they wanted to. Sure. 
Um, but I mean, but still, granted, this is all really good. Yeah, I, you for know, sure. You know, they, they seem to really be embracing the idea of universal design, which is, you know, they're, they're encouraging developers to make their apps accessible from the get-go. Um, you know, and again, you know, if they're sitting in on, on web accessibility standard committees and boards and stuff, uh, you know, that, that's all really great. It's really positive. Um, and they are going to these tech shows like CSUN and NFB and ACB, you know. So just the fact that they're attending these shows for people with low vision blindness or other disabilities is, is great. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's good. Competition is good. It's, it's great mm -hmm. that, you know, that's exactly what we want. We want Microsoft and Google to be racing to try to become the best, you know, accessible, friendly company in the world. You know, and if they can overtake Apple and make Apple, you know, put those feet back on their pedals and get going, even better. Uh, yeah, the next story. So Ira has brought on Anirudh Cool, who is a founder of Seeing, the Seeing AI app and former senior data scientist at Microsoft. And he's joining Ira as the head of the artificial intelligence and research. Uh, in this role, he'll lead the development of Ira's AI platform, leveraging advances in computer vision and machine learning to improve the experience and capabilities of both IRA agents and explorers. And a quote from him says, AI is the next frontier to be revolutionized by advances in assistive technology, and IRA has a unique opportunity to lead the way. Now, IRA already has a digital assistant as well named Chloe. So, Is she hot? Couldn't tell you. Wow. Uh, well, okay, well, but depends tell on us. the processor. <laughs> <laughs> Scorching wow, with an i7. Compu computer joke. <laughs> you guys are such nerds. Uh, no, this is okay. Well, wait, okay, so and I don't think I knew this. So it, it has a built in, I don't AI. know if it's built in yet, but they do have an assistant called Chloe. And what does Chloe do at this point? I don't remember. <laughs> we talked about it months ago, okay. But yeah, we'd have to look back on it. But okay, well, but this is this is interesting. Does this gives me the thought that are they? Do you think they're looking to push Ira into an app that wouldn't require a human agent eventually? Yes. So we should actually just remind people. So for those people out there who aren't familiar with Ira, someone someone take it and tell people what Ira is. Well, Ira is a company that employs and trains people to be assistants or agents on the other end of a internet call. So basically you can use your phone, or the camera on your phone, or a pair of glasses, and you call up an Ira agent and you can ask them, what is this can? Or can you describe the scene in front of me? How close am I to the bus stop? You know, there's Ira support in airports and in a lot of airports in the U.S. now. So they'll help you know guide you through the airport, and these are all paid agents. They're professionally trained agents, and Ira's now gone twenty four seven. So I think AI is definitely there to at some point replace the human agents because it's got to get pretty costly hmm. to hire all these people. They're twenty four seven now, so can't be cheap. Um. Yeah, I mean, they've been getting a lot of press mm -hmm. lately. Um, uh, Ira has really, seems to be really taking off and, and really fairly popular within the, um, the visually impaired community. Um, Colleen, have you, have you ever used it? Uh, yeah, I did a trial for them um, 
not with the newest set of glasses. Um, they were a couple booths down from us at the ACB conference, and they were definitely one of the more popular booths. A lot of people asked us, do you know where Ira is? Um, and some people were using the glasses at the conference um, in the hotel and stuff like that. So um, they definitely are popular and people are interested. I think the main barrier is the cost. Yeah, sure. Of um, the glasses are a thousand dollars, and that's five mooses in Canadian. Um, <laughs> and they have, that's meese. Um, <laughs> the meese. The meese. Um, so it's it's very expensive, and then you actually pay for the minutes right. that you are using with your agent. By You can do it by month. Um, they've introduced something where you can now share minutes with other people. So um, you could, let's say, all of us decided to get an, an IRA account together. We could say, okay, we have 500 minutes to use between all of us. And then basically each of us just pays whatever minutes we used within our, you know, 500-minute bucket. Um, so they have sharing now because they know it's expensive. They're, they're also trying to do different locations that will offer free minutes. So, for instance, Walmart has partnered with them to, if you're in a Walmart on their Wi-Fi, then you're not paying for your minutes. Um, also, they will reimburse you your minutes if you're on a way to a job interview or if you're doing something that's trying to get a visually impaired person employment. Hmm. So they do offer like benefits and deals. Um, a lot of the time, they're constantly coming up with new things. Like you said, they're, um, I think that they're popular because they are trying to figure out how to be more available, how to be more cost-effective, and also, they're introducing more AI elements to it um, to become available, you know, like you said, 24-7. Um, they're also in the UK, too, now, I believe. Um, they do overseas hours. So it just depends. Um, I think it's definitely for some people. I, myself, didn't actually like um, using the glasses. Um, I found it kind of, I would, I don't know if it's because I have anxiety, but like, it was a little creepy to me. Um, the fact that someone would, you know, be able to call me a lift and when they sign in, they would, they're in my phone. Right. Um, they can also remotely access your computer, right. um, which can be very helpful if you have a problem. Um, that's awesome. But it, it also just made me feel like I it was kind of an invasion of privacy right. that I was weirded out about. Also, you have to request if you want the call to not be recorded hmm. um, because they, re they record it for quality assurance. <clears throat> um, so, again, I, I, these people are screened and they're trained to, um, you know, deal with sensitive information if they're helping you with your taxes or something like that, for instance. Um, but also I could see how, in my mind, I could see how it would be abused or could be uh, taken advantage of or kind of creepy in a way. Sure. So it's, um, 
you know, when you start dialing the same agent or, you know, become friendly with people, that's fine. But I could see how it could go wrong. Sure. Um, they know exactly where you are. And so I don't know. For me, it was a little bit of a challenge to get past. Um, I also have a guide dog. So it meant I had no hands. Mm, right. Um, to do anything with because I have to have my phone. Even if I was wearing the glasses, I still have to be using the audio from my phone. Right. Um, in, in, ear, in my earbuds, if I wanted it to be more private conversation. So it just was, they're working on it to be more stylish and to be more secure and more as things go. But when I tried it, it was definitely not for me. Um, there, there would be some one, people swear by it. There, there would be one problem if they made it really discreet and, uh, you could, you could do, do stuff hands-free while you're walking your dog people would think that your dog was being talked to and that it was figuring stuff out for you. They'd be, they'd be watching going, man, that, look at that dog. She asked, she has to go to the pants rack and it took her right there. <laughs> they do that already. <laughs> people do that already. <laughs> uh, they already tell, I asked someone directions and they tell Joplin and I'm like, well, <laughs> Talk to me. She's not going to remember this. Just <laughs> a very bad memory. <laughs> She's cute, but there's a uh, there's a, a gag that they did in at the uh, Montreal Comedy Festival where they had somebody walking around with a guide dog and uh, and a map, and uh, they they got people to basically hold the map and show the dog where to go on the map. And people were doing it. They were, they were like getting down in front of the dog and pointing in directions. The dog's sitting there going, okay, you're an idiot. <laughs> well, but uh, so, you know, this is, this is interesting. I mean, I, I feel like this is probably very smart on, on Ira's part. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you think about it, you know, they're, they're, they're developed, they've developed this app that's, that's very novel that's that's unique and very appealing and they've they've brought it in at a time when you know it it there need, it needs to have that human component but then if they can while they're running that app if they can be working on something that can eventually replace that human component and potentially reduce the 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 cost point for it um and and yep. still remain you know that first choice and be t sort of top of mind um, in the market in terms of a, a mobility aid, you know, I, I think, I think it's, a, it's probably a very smart move, but I mean, we also have to remember that there are, there's a free, uh, a free app that's, that's kind of competition to, to Ira, which is called Ryan, what's it called again? Be my eyes. Be my eyes. Now, I mean, it's not as good because you're essentially being paired with basically a volunteer, um, worked for me when I called. Yeah. Yep. But I mean, for, for day to day little things that yep. you might need, you know, somebody's eyes to do, like, is this, you know, is this cayenne or is it paprika? You know, it, it, it makes much more sense to use a free app to do that than to be paying uh, a subscription or having to, you know, buy into a thousand dollar pair of smart glasses to, to use. So, and, and not only that, we have to remember that Google has Lookout coming soon, which, you know, is completely driven by AI. So, right. you know, it, it is going to be an interesting 
thing to to watch in terms of AI. And you know, you're absolutely right, Colleen. AI is all over the place in terms of 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 what they're really working on building, especially within the the accessibility field. You know, AI is just the buzzword right now. Um, yep. But I think it's smart of them to bring him specifically. Yes. Um, Mr. Mr. Cool um, <laughs> specifically, because I think that clearly he has not only a mind for leadership and innovation, but also marketing. Yes. And so one of their big successes, it seems, is that they have very friendly people. They're very, you know, they're trying to be very knowledgeable and conscious and supportive of the visually impaired. And they're, you know, they're still selling it, you know. Yeah. So I think that in order to, like you said, be able to work on more than one thing at once, and if he's there, he's clearly proven himself as an app developer, but also you have to be able to market that stuff. That's not, mm -hmm. you know. Well, we have some upcoming announcements supposedly in September where our CNIB up here, our, our National Organization for the Blind, is going to be partnering with IRA. And that's all we know right now. We don't know what else that's going to mean, what their subscription plans are going to be. So it'll be really interesting because up here, our data plans suck. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see oh, what, the yeah, yeah. Is, what the pricing is for the subscriptions. Mm. You know, like we really don't have unlimited data plans up here like you can get in the U.S. No, but the U.S. Mm. has got so much more competition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't believe how many mooses I have to pay every month for my, <laughs> for my uh, <laughs> cell phone plan. It's exactly. ridiculous. I got to be for, ridiculous. Your, for your two gigabytes of data. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. I just I got to be out there in the woods trying to catch them all day long just to pay for my damn cell phone. Yeah. Exactly. Uh well, and what, what do you guys think? I mean, could AI eventually replace a human agent completely, or is that kind of pie in the sky? I think with pie all in the, the sky today, but not twenty years from now. Yeah, like think of all the data. Oh, no, I don't there. think it's that far out. Think about all the data out there. Like if you took all of the blueprints for buildings, hotels, airports. I know there's a constant development going on, but there's so much data out there that you could mine. Throw out an AI, it would it would be able to give you way much more information than any human ever could i mean they um they even now have down here um where i live the traffic lights um and ai the traffic lights just a computer now it's not it's not physically you know it's tracking the traffic by patterns and what's coming and the sensor plates in the ground but also just the sensor of of the traffic light itself so if you had your AI be able to plug into even the traffic lights of a city, it could tell you, you know, when there's a fire truck coming. Right. I mean, it, it has the, all, it would have all the traffic data when you're traveling. It would have the what's nearby, the Yelp review of what's nearby. Sure. But what happens when <laughs> you, know, you get, like, what happens when you get hacked by Russian hackers? Oh, then you get then, that, that weird that weird alphabet that they have. I don't know. Or your, or your AI dis discovers it has a sense of humor. <laughs> Why? Because Russians are known for their sense of humor? No, no. The, the AI develops one. Oh, I see. Yeah. Make it right here. Make it right here. 
Let's just make all the lights red. That's uh, right. Vote for Trump. <laughs> Vote for Trump. He, he's a good man. He's a good man, not Trump. It's a red wave. Uh, it's no. a red wave. When you travel, you must, you must do this. Yes. Hey, that's Take pretty right. good. Take a right. Take a right. I am your AI, Natalia Plotniskaya. <laughs> Please, press the home button so that I might... No, you. Oh, gosh. No, but... <laughs> but okay, if you do not turn left, we will find your family. <laughs> okay, where was I going? I just completely derailed my line. Been derailed. <laughs> well, one other thing about, about the AI, I mean, it seems to me that a lot of this, a lot of what's going to drive this is, is basically object recognition. I mean, the AI is going to be powering... Like, if you think about what, you know, a, a camera, you point your smartphone at a scene and take a you know take a live video feed if that ai can then go in and detect all the different objects in that scene in real time and say okay well there's a there's a there's a traffic cone there's a there's a car there's a you know a person so if if the ai can identify those objects and then be able to see and this is where i think the trick is it's it's got to interpret those objects and and determine the relevance of those objects to the user so that it, you know the user can say okay what's what's in front of me or you know it, it needs to be able to sort of guide somebody who's visually impaired through all these real world objects so and i think it, that it that's needs where depth the, perception the, as well sure i mean and it, and it needs to be able to sort of determine what object is going to be relevant. That's the tricky part. It's right. one thing to, be, to recognize, okay, there's a cone, there's a person, there's a manhole cover that's not, that's open. But just some of the same technology that's in these, you know, self-driving vehicles now. That's a well, dog, that's a sure, car. Sure, ex exactly. You know, you know and, and it seems to me that's where the real hard work is going to go in terms of in terms of the AI. Well, not only that, but a traffic cone here is completely different than a traffic cone, say, in Europe. Right, sure. Right. But I mean, it has to, you know, like I said, it, it has to be like, okay, open manhole cover, traffic cone, dog, person. It needs to recognize that, okay, you know what, that open manhole cover is probably the most important thing in this scene because we need to guide this person away from that. So, you know, it, it can't just, it's not just object recognition, but it's it's putting all those pieces together and determining how to best uh, guide that person through that that scene. So, you know, it, it seems to me that's a lot of processing power and that's a really big job compared to somebody, a human agent, that could just be like, yeah, look out for that open manhole cover and uh, you might want to steer around that. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's pie in the sky. I, I You know, it, it, it's, it's hard to say exactly where the AI um, technology is at, how close we are to to doing that be and that's why I'm, I'm really interested in this lookout app that is going to be being released because that's kind of how from what i understand anyways that's how that lookout app works is that it's able to to recognize objects rank them in relevance and then you know feed that information to a user so it, it, it's all it's it's i mean i, I feel like I, i'm kind of with rick i think that it's a lot closer to 20 years i think that that uh, you know, the next two or three years is going to be uh, pretty interesting. All right. Well, you know what? Here's a great. I think we alluded to this story earlier. 
But let's talk about it anyways. This is from uh, this is from actually our good friends at Cool Blind Tech. Let's give them a plug. Plug, plug, plug. Good plug, guys. Coolblindtech.com. Uh, Apple is facing a new lawsuit claiming the company's website is violating the Americans with Disabilities Act by not being fully accessible to blind or visually impaired consumers. Ryan is already chuckling, so I can I already know what his take on this is. But let me just read the article first, Ryan. Read it away. Filed in the U.S. Court, District Court of the Southern District of New York. Let's give a shout out to them because uh, we know the great work that they're doing with that whole uh, <laughs> Cohen and, and Manafort cases. <laughs> Yay. Go Southern District of New York. Uh, <laughs> the complaint from the plaintiff, uh, Himelda Mendez, says to be filed on behalf of other users. Mendez, said to be a proficient user of the JAWS screen reading program, visited the Apple website earlier this month but encountered, quote, multiple access barriers that denied, quote, full and equal access to the facilities, goods, and services offered to the public, such as being able to browse and purchase products, make service appointments, or learn of the facilities available in Apple stores in New York. Uh, the filing provides a long list of issues with the website that it believes needs fixing in order to comply with the ADA in relation to screen readers. The list includes the lack of alternate text for graphics, empty links containing no text, redundant links, and linked images missing alternative text. The lawsuit demands a permanent injunction requiring Apple to retain a qualified consultant to help the company comply with uh, WCAG guidelines for the site, including training its web developers on accessibility compliance, regularly checking the site's compliance, regular testing by blind and visually impaired users, and the development of an accessibility policy posted on all of its websites. So also, she's looking for a job. Well, also sought... <laughs> wait, hold on. Also sought our uh, compensatory... Uh, comp compensatory. Compensatory. Thank you. Damages in an amount to be determined by proof, including all applicable statutory and punitive damages and fines, plus legal fees incurred by the filer. Oh, she's looking to get rich. So I'm, well, I'm, I just wanted to read all of that out, <laughs> and it was a little hard to get through, but I just wanted to sort of lay everything on the table of what exactly the lawsuit is talking about and what, job. what, she's, what she wants, because that's important in, sure. in, in, in the context of this. She wants a job, and if she doesn't get a job, she's going, she wants money instead. Well, well I don't she, know about that. she may have a valid complaint. She does. But my questions are, nowadays, one browser and one screen reader doesn't mean success. Google Chrome, Firefox, Internet Explorer, Edge, JAWS, MBDA all render websites differently. So did she actually try it? Well, Was she using up-to-date software? Yeah, but well, hold, hold on. There's other though. questions. But, but, uh, well, but in her defense, mm -hmm. in her defense, everything that she listed, that would be, that would be cross-browser. Cross I mean, if you don't have your uh, uh, images tagged with alt text, I mean, that's, that's something that, that uh, is, is not going to be browser specific. Okay. That's going to show in, in every browser. So, and I, and I get the sense of a lot of those uh, problems that they listed would be like that. It's, it wouldn't be a matter of, oh, well, this works in Chrome, but it doesn't work in Firefox, or it works with JAWS, but it doesn't work with I guess the other NVDA. issue, right. I guess the other, and I understand that. I guess the other issue I have is how long has Apple been around and accessibility been around and this complaint is just coming to the forefront now? Well, okay, well, let's... Okay. Are other people not being able to purchase off Apple? Okay, like, well, why let's, now? Well, let's talk about that. I mean, let's 
let, I mean, first of all, are, are we really super surprised that, that Apple got nailed with this? Of course. Yeah. Sure, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think Ryan brings up a good point. Um, I think part of, part of <clears throat> my question when I, when I first read this was just how much of a barrier did this woman face um, with this? Well, the other side of that coin is look at when we've done changes to our website in the past. You know, Ryan would come back and say, this page is not accessible. Well, what does accessible mean anyway? It's such a broad term. Right. Well, but, yeah, but, well, but it isn't, though, because this, they're specifically talking about the ADA, right? So the ADA has right. guidelines, so they're, they're specifically pointing out problems that do not conform with the ADA. So, I mean, that part of it is, I think, is cemented. I guess my question is, is, did she go to the Apple website and really come up across a barrier where she couldn't actually do something? And then was like, oh well, this this sucks. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lawsuit. Or did she actually go into the to the Apple website and just like just search for any anything that she could? Um, so that, she could that, have, that was a problem. Like, so she you know, could have a pissing match. Did once, she contact yeah, Apple once, to once, see if there was a resolution? You know, like even Amazon has an ex- screen reader accessible back end to their website. So. But I mean, but is yeah. that fair? I mean, if your if your website, if there's stuff in your website that is not ADA compliant, then I could probably pull up 500 websites in the next six hours, Rob, and show yep. you websites that aren't ADA, ADA compliant. But would uh, but right. would you be okay by calling them out on it? I mean, that's the whole point of having an, something like the ADA is that if they are these are guidelines that your website needs to conform to, yes. and if you don't, you get called out on it. So, I right. mean, isn't it? Isn't it fair that that this is happening? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't yes, people have an should avenue? Be. Yes, they should. Yes, and I think there needs to be steps followed through. And we and we don't know. Maybe she did contact Apple, and Apple's just said, you know, it's, go piss up a rope. But you know, I think. And Colleen, you can correct us on this, but all we ever hear about in the states, anyway, is litigation, litigation, litigation. So it's are you the American gonna, way. Well, it is, but are you going to sue Ma and Joe's Cafe down the street because their website menu isn't accessible? Like, come on, where do you draw the line? I think that what happens a lot of the time is that people, especially from my experience in the States, um, for instance, there was... brief digression but there was a movie the amc movie theaters mm-hmm. was um they have the equipment the audio description does not work the staff does not know what you're talking about the audio description wouldn't work it would be promised that it would be worked on it was never worked on and all the theaters in virginia would do is give you a free ticket well, why would i want a free ticket to mm-hmm. something that is still not going to work. Right. So, group of people sued AMC theaters and they won. Right. That kind of thing, I understand. Um, yeah, but that's an ongoing the, dispute. Exactly. What I mean is that with technology and with websites, this particular lawsuit. I think that we would need more details of the case in this article. I'm a little confused as to if she was trying to look up these facilities in Apple stores. So she, or, or was she looking up the site map 
to try and navigate the website itself. It mentions specifically the word facilities, mm-hmm. and that to me means physical building. Right. Or and and you know the ADA was only signed into law in 1990, and it was mostly for curb cutouts for wheelchairs, and it was a lot of access needs, and it was before technology was really as ingrained in our lives as it is. And Apple is a huge animal in our in our lives, um, at least especially in the States. And I think that it's odd that this is just coming out now. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious as to what website she was talking about, like apple.com mm-hmm. or like right. what, what was she ordering? Was it iTunes? Was it, um, you know, what what was there an update that came out that just completely screwed everything? Was she browsing um, on her phone or her PC? <laughs> but I mean, so, well, she you know, she it just jaws, there's jaws a lot of factors that I think I almost don't have enough details to comment. Mm-hmm. But I will say that there is, unfortunately, in in the states, there is so much that is ignored, ignored, ignored until you say lawsuit and then sure. the company or the people go oh oh we'll, uh, uh, we'll fix it now we'll fix it now and it it's there's the threat of suing so much in this country about anything right um <clears throat> and that's across the board that's not even just disabilities but it's almost like you know that's why the national federation for the blind here operates the way it does is they have like two hours in one session at a conference about how many people they've sued that year. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I would, I would have a hard, I would have a hard time believing that any of these problems that are listed would impact the usability of the website in general. And I mean, I would, I would be surprised if Apple, like how could Apple get to this point and have their, their website actually not, Fully usable and accessible by anybody. I mean, I find that hard to believe to begin with. But I mean, let's look at the the actual issues that is that are listed in this lawsuit, and that's lack of alternative text for graphics. Okay, Uh, empty links containing no text, and redundant links. We're going to look at this later today. You know that, right? (laughs) Well, okay, but let's think. So, so, and that it, it could mean that there were three pictures on the entire Apple website that maybe that she couldn't get to. that didn't have alt text on them possibly or we don't we don't know mm-hmm. like we don't know what how deep but even then like alternate alt text for for pictures that's not a huge usability issue i, I wouldn't think unless you have you know sure you might have um, buttons that are graphics that if they're not labeled, you might not know where the submit button is, possibly. Right. But, you know what? Anything we do at this point is just <laughs> idle speculation but I mean, as to what the accessibility issues are. Sure. Until we actually go on to the Apple website and <clears throat> cruise it with JAWS, we're not going to be any wiser on this. So, but, but I guess my point is that none of these things that are listed would impact the general usability of a website, in my opinion. Also, I feel most people, um, I contact websites often, and most people are very receptive once you say something like, hey, just so you know, this is how a screen reader works, Sure. and this is inaccessible about your website, and I don't even charge them. 
you know, I just send them an email and say, your developer, your programmer needs to do this. And most of the time they go, oh, fascinating. Okay, cool. And so, yeah, I have a hard time, like, if it's, if it's based stuff, um, how did Apple get there? And if it's, and if it's not, you know, if it's not basic stuff, then why would the article use those as examples? Is it mm-hmm. because lay people might be reading this article? You know what I mean? Right. Well, you know, and, and I think the bigger question to this, because Steve's absolutely right. I mean, we're we're all we're just kind of you know purely speculating at this point. But I guess the more interesting question is that um, is this a good idea in terms of general um, you know accessibility policies? Because um, you know, there were there. There's talk, or actually, I think it's even beyond talk. I think I think they actually did. They actually are looking at removing some of the teeth of the ADA because of the fear of of over litigation. People, you know, they're 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 making the standards, or, or they're making it a little bit harder. I think to to submit complaints. Um, because of reasons just for this. So I guess my point is. Are, are lawsuits like this fair? Should companies be held to these standards and, and have their feet held to the fire? Or, or is this totally unfair? I, I, think, I think companies certainly need to be able to provide a minimum standard. But like Ryan said a few minutes ago, mom and pop's cafeteria down the road, you know, if, if you start talking lawsuit to them, why bother going through the effort of putting a website up at all? Piss on you. But Apple, Apple's got big pockets, so let's go after them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, Apple also has an accessibility department. Mm-hmm. How how is it that a company with its own accessibility department can't have a website that's accessible? Yeah, I, I I got that, but I mean, I'm being very superficial about it now. But you know, it it's kind of like, why bother putting it out there at all? You know, if, if we're only going to get pissed on, then to hell with it. I was just going to say, there's a, definitely a fear of that attitude coming into play. You almost, you when people don't understand something, they're afraid of it. And if people are afraid of being sued, then they're either going to try and, you know, wise up and, and do everything they can to over-accommodate, or they're going to shut down. Right. As in, you know, mentally and physically just shut down and say, well, screw it. We don't need a website. Right. There's or, two, end, like, two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So. Well, let's hope Apple doesn't shut their website down. All over one, <laughs> yeah. one alt tag for one picture. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it is, it's a really, it's, it really is a double-edged sword. Um you know, and I think that what people have to realize is that there has to be some sort of moderation and there has to be some compromise, I think, on both sides. You can't have people who are just going into company websites mm-hmm. to look for violations. Yeah. There's a difference between doing that and actually coming up against a real barrier where it's like, I wanted to order something from your website, but I actually wasn't able to be because the your shopping cart software isn't isn't accessible and I wasn't able to do that. There's a big difference between that and then just like going onto a website and data mining and going, hey, look, they forgot to uh, 
to well to not not I'll only take that, a picture. but you go from I can't order on your website to holy Christ, I'm going to sue you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, probably not, but no. I mean, but then again, you know, certainly. Well, I know that's going to open up a whole another can of worms, but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, look at but honestly, like, but look at look at the government websites uh, in Canada, and look what had to happen there, and that wasn't all that long ago. I mean, we had a woman who actually sued the government of Canada because the government websites were not accessible. She was not able to access information using, uh, I'm assuming, a screen reader, mm-hmm. right, guys? Is yeah. That, yep. Yeah, uh, and she had to sue the government. And mm-hmm. that was, what, 10 years ago? Mm, yeah, it could be now. You know, uh, which not all that long ago. Um, web accessibility standards have been a lot more, lot longer than that. So, I mean, there is a value to this, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, being able to litigate. Searching is visibility. I mean, Apple's a huge company, and this article made it onto the interwebs, and her case is going to make Sorry. it onto... You know, so the other thing is visibility. Maybe yes. she's just, we've run into this so much that she was like, you know who I could sue where mm-hmm. people would freaking hear about it is Apple. You betcha. So, you betcha. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, my my gut feeling on this when, I, when I'm looking at the, like I said, the list of violations is they're, they're all pretty minor violations. I, I think she would have had to have gone in and really like searched to try to find some of these. I, I mean, I could be wrong. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that's just the feeling I get. So I might almost side with, with Ryan with this, uh, which is going to be unusual in and of itself. <laughs> but I, I kind of might feel that this might be an, a, one of the unnecessary lawsuits that... Just send her a new Mac computer and she'll be happy. They'll well, settle out of there's, there's the other question. What's she doing on the Apple website using JAWS? You know? I mean, <laughs> she thinking, is she thinking of jumping ship and going That's over right. to the dark side? <laughs> you, want, you want to talk about the Canadian government, though? Just, this is just a little aside. Go for it. I was in a new, and I mean new, federal government building over the weekend. It was not accessible. Really? Two stories, and there was no elevator from the bottom floor to the top floor. Wow. What? Yes, that's that's correct. And that's and it's new. It's new. It's it's two years old. Hmm. I wonder if this that's one. That's just weird. At this point. So I asked the commanding officer of the unit why it wasn't accessible, and he was absolutely flummoxed as to what I was talking about. And it's like, it's a federal government building. It is supposed to be accessible. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm. how do we go about doing that? Well, first things first is you've got to get from the bottom floor to the top floor for ramp. everybody. And a ramp ain't going to cut it. <laughs> and a ramp ain't going to cut it. Oh, could we put a stair glide in that'll take a take mm. a wheelchair? I don't mm. know, but don't there are minimum standards that, yeah. and whoever mm. built this building really screwed up. Mm. Wow. Well, yes. The building's not to code. No. Regardless, no. It would it would not be to code. No. I smell a lawsuit. <laughs> okay, so I did a little, I did a little uh, googling here because uh, the suit was brought about by uh, Himelda Mendez. That's right. Uh, so I did a search for Himelda Mendez. Oh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> and I discovered a couple other lawsuits. Uh, oh, here's a surprise. Yeah. So there's uh, July seventeenth sued uh, McPeak's adult home. 
Because their Wi-Fi wouldn't work. Uh, where is it here? I'm not sure what adult home has at this I, point. I don't know. I want to go there, though. No, you don't, Rob. You don't know that. Yes, I do, Rob. <laughs> what kind of adult home? I, I got to pay to get the to get the documents for this one off, off oh, this website that I'm looking. So we don't at. know what she sued them for. Uh, okay, so so there's that one, and then there's also uh, Mendez versus Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. Yeah, you see, Uh-oh. after all the big big money items. Uh, again, don't, don't probably not acceptable. Don't know exactly, but uh, Some sort of <laughs> that's right. But case filed August twenty first. Oh, a month she's, later, she's been busy. <clears throat> yeah, so it looks like this this could be somebody who is uh, having some fun with the ADA legislation and yeah. uh, and being a little uh, Over pro, proactive with yeah. her lawsuit. Thro- throw it at the Let's wall and see proactive. what sticks. That's needs, what that is. It needs to pay for all those cruises. Well, why don't we get her on the podcast? No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, rather than Okay, Ryan, go for it. Yeah, get her. Do it. Send me your contact get her. info. This, this yeah, sounds don't. like somebody who's pissed off at uh, not, things exactly. not being accessible. Yeah, absolutely. So. Do not tell her what our website is. <laughs> <laughs> our website? Uh, uh, coolblindtech.com. Yeah. <laughs> Royalcaribbean.ca. Uh I don't want to get sued. <laughs> you wouldn't die on the domain. <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're listed. Okay, sue away. Uh, I'm just a sponsor, man. <laughs> <I'm> just, <yeah. laughs> Throwing you under the bus. <laughs> meet, meet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you go before Judge Judy. I'm on. <laughs> well, it would be interesting to talk to somebody who's gone through this process, you know, or going through it. All right. And well, maybe some of the reasons behind it. Uh, hook us up. Uh, okay, you guys want to talk about one more, and then we should get out of here? Yeah. Okay. Robot guide dogs. Roof. Roof. Hey. Uh, the article, ASU team wins competition with robot seeing guide dog. And again, this is a courtesy of our friends at Cool Blind Tech. I think we're in the same boat with this one as we are with the glasses. Well, let's, uh, well, it's just, this is just a little story. It's it's just cute. It's more about, we can talk about the the concept of a robot guide dog, but... Uh, the, a team of students at Arizona State University, uh, the Fulton School of Engineering recently took first prize at a competition in China hosted by Intel. The ASU assembled a prototype of a robot, which is programmed to recognize dangers and act as an assistant for blind people. Their robot, the robotic guide dog led a teddy bear in a small wheelchair, listening to commands and navigating around obstacles. We specifically programmed for traffic lights, cars, and a cone. Uh, the students used software and hardware to interact and control the robot dog. Amazon's voice-activated Alexa technology was used for the robotic dog to understand commands. A GoPro camera acted as the dog's eyes. Its images were analyzed by artificial intelligence technology, which was programmed to be able to spot cars, stoplights, and cones. So again, a sort of an amalgamation of a couple different technologies, you know, put together and it was able to sort of do very fundamental tasks. But, you know, is the, is this the, are these the building blocks? Is this the foundation for something that could actually be a thing? Yeah, sure. Maybe. Yeah. Eventually. You know, especially we're just talking about, you know, all the AI that's being fed into 
See, the Ira glasses, could you not take that as a basis and then develop something what happens as when a you, robotic mobility aid? What happens when you take your robotic dog out for a walk and it's raining? Is it going to rust? No, right. you could waterproof it. <laughs> I love it that that's the, the, the biggest Made concern. out of composite plastics, it's fine. <clears throat> it's got servos well, I'm trying to remember what K9 and Doctor Who is made out of. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. Styrofoam, aluminum, I believe. <laughs> but um, you know, it, but oh, but as okay, but uh, and this this question is probably best poised for, for uh, Colleen because she has a guide dog. So, is this something that you're even remotely interested in in the future? Um, I could see how if it became first of all, if it became affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, most guide dogs are free if you are eligible for them, if not reasonable, um, you would need repair for robotics, certainly. Um, also if you were in a real crisis situation and something happened where your robot dog stopped working, Kick him to the curb. You might, you might not be able to carry it. I don't know. You know, I don't know how heavy it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the situation is there. Also, certainly as far as companionship and, you know, personality and love, um, th- there would certainly be an element of that missing. Right. It's available um, as an upgrade. <laughs> now, again, the maintenance kind of you replace vet and food and grooming and picking up poop and stuff like that with, you know, the maintenance of a robo dog. That's also available um, for upgrade. Yeah, service, service so, contract. I think it would be, I mean, for your allergies, certainly if you were somebody with allergies, um, you'd have a robo dog. <sighs> And uh, you have to be allergic to it. Um, It probably could understand more commands. You train a dog to understand. I guess you could actually actually show a a robot dog a map, and it would actually be able to like take (laughs) information. information Honestly, like I'm I'm not actually being like (laughs) that's probably something you could actually do. Seriously, seriously, you could. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say if it's programmed to the point of recognizing obstacles, but if you put AI in it, I mean, you could even, you know, for instance, I can't. I can't grab onto the harness and say, Joplin, take me to Walgreens. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she knows she knows that we go to Walgreens. She knows that that's the pharmacy we walk to, and she knows the way. Um, but I still give her commands. It's still ultimately my job to decide when to cross the street, and then it's her job to make sure it is safe. But I'm still making all the decisions where I feel like maybe a robo-dog would make more decisions for you. I don't. I don't know. Sure. I mean, especially... I think there's pros and cons to it. Certainly, I wouldn't want the one of one. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it's there, there are, you know, there, there are huge implications for this um, if, if you really sort of think of it. But I mean, at the, at the core of it, a lot of the people that we talk to, you know, again, it, 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 I think the, the, the companionship, 
and the the therapy animal aspect of it is about the the, the one major plus for for a real dog. Ryan, were you the one that said, like, what's the average cost to actually train a guide dog? Do you know what that figure was? It's just over over $100,000. Yeah, I think it depends on the school, but it's up there. $100,000, yeah. So, I mean, so, and and sure, they, you know, generally guide dogs are are free. But, I mean, when you consider that it's costing somebody, you know, $100,000. It's mostly labor. Um then, you know, the notion of having this that maybe might come in at, I don't know, maybe a couple grand, maybe that does make more sense in the grand scheme of things. Well, and like Colleen said, you know, there are pros. You know, you're not going to have the vet bills. You're not going to have the dog food. You're not going to have to worry about people's allergies, you know. But, you know, it's going to bring up a whole new argument on therapy animals. You know, what's a service animal now? Are we going to have this whole argument all over again that we're currently having? Can you take it on a flight with you? You know, probably like, I wouldn't say why not. Because it's because it's robotic. The thing is, remember, a service dog can go with you anywhere. Your service animal can go with you anywhere. Does it get to a point where you're trying to bring a robot onto a plane, and they're like, TSA is like, you can't bring this. Right. You're gonna blow up the plane. You right. Know? Artificial you intelligence. Analyze right? the robotics. And, you can barely bring yourself. Yeah, I don't know. Plane, you know. But I mean, when we talk about, you know, self-driving cars and how excited people are getting about that mm-hmm. in terms of uh, in terms of mobility and, and getting around, I mean, this isn't all that far removed from that as well. And I mean, that's not to say that if they develop a, a robotic guide dog that, you know, therapy animals are cert- are suddenly going to be, you know, unattainable and we just mm-hmm. phase them out completely. I mean, certainly we can have both um, as options. Um, and, and who knows, this might... Eventually, if, if the technology pans out and plays out the way that, that the implications seem to be pointing at, a robotic guide dog would be far more versatile and a powerful tool f- as a mobility aid if you, if you take out that aspect of companionship and, and, and such. I mean, I would love to have this thing that'd be like, you could have Google Maps built right into it. Well, you can have a digital assistant. Well. You know, you walk into a mall and it says, okay, you know, 400 feet, we're going to turn left and on your left is going to be London Drugs or Staples or whatever. You know? I mean, I mean, I, I, now I want a talking robotic dog <laughs> just to have. I mean, I don't even, I don't even need it, but I well, want the it. The other thing is you can, humans certainly, um, humans, we, we anthropomorphize things all the time. Mm-hmm. So you would end up, I mean, people name their Roombas. Yeah, like the vacuum, and when they sure. when they call the company, they want their same Roomba back repaired. They don't want like I want my Rolly Roomba, and I want him to you know. So we certainly, I think you would end up loving your robot dog anyway, you know, and you would. You, I don't know if you could give it you know personality traits, and there'd be all kinds of. You know, sure. could you have a different animal? Like That's I how I'm going to make tiger, my first million dollars. A robot tiger guide. That's how I want I'm a robot make, penguin guide. That's how I'm going to make my first million dollars is making skins for Roomba. Yeah, well, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, no. <laughs> serial killer just I have skins for your Roomba. <laughs> <laughs> I stretch them tight. Uh, no, but but seriously, I mean, you you bring up a a really good point. I mean, there's all kinds of aspects of of this that that 
could be plugged into this technology that would make it really kind of fun. But yeah, but I mean, I don't know. We're but we're a ways away from this. I mean, even if we look at either either component, I think the AI component uh, of this is is a ways away. Um, but I also think the robotic component of this is a ways away. Like having a, a an actual robot, we'll call it a dog, because we we assume that they'll make it. I guess with four legs. Well, but it wouldn't need to even be in that form. Any any sort any sort of a robotic device that has the, the same level of mobility that it, that say something like a dog would have. I mean, we're a ways from that even. I mean, I know that you know we've seen we've seen footage of them like you know having like sort of dog like robots yeah. that can sort of transverse hills and and obstacles and stuff. It's it's still pretty glitchy. Yeah, it's still it's still like the little, you know even if you have like a little tank like system, you know you've got kind of the tank um, conveyor belt type wheels and Treads. you know you're talking hitting curbs and stuff. I mean, you have to almost be round like BB-8 in yes. Star Wars, sure. So it could just do every the curbs and then just like recover immediately. You know, you, I don't even know if you'd want it to have legs because it just be. Yeah, you, yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, it probably would make just more sense to have it as a, a small drone, yeah. something that flies. Like, why would you build something that that has legs when you could just build something that that just hovers and flies? Because yeah. when you when it does come up against a curb, whoever is being guided needs to know there's a curb there. Sure, but I mean, you could you could program that all all that into it. It could recognize what's in front of you. Like, curb is at you know whatever ten feet, five feet four feet if it's got curb. speech output it can tell you yeah yeah so these are not the robot dogs you're looking for <laughs> i just want a robot dog. Bus coming in five feet four feet three feet <laughs> <laughs> two feet not slowing down <laughs> i want to be the developer of a robotic cat though because that would be easy to program just yeah just like, have it walk away from yeah, you, yeah, and, you know, just three quarters of the time just sleep yeah so climb up shelves and knock things off yeah uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's let's uh, let's let's pack it in. Alrighty, um, Colleen. Tell everybody where they can find you and what you're up to these days. Plug, 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 plug. Yes. Plug. Um, so my podcast and website and where you can find me is blindinspirationcast.com. All one word: blindinspirationcast, as in podcast. C A S T. Um, dot com. You can email me blindinspirationcast at gmail dot com. You can find me on Twitter, which is at inspirationcast. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Um, I'm on Facebook. It's all Blind Inspiration Cast. Um, if you want to check out the app that I'm working on, it's called Way Around, which is spelled how you would think. It's all one word. Way Around dot com. And then if you're interested in audio description or becoming an audio describer or you know anyone who is, um, feel free to check us out at adtrainingretreats.com. And hey, Ryan. Mm, yes, Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us at atbanter.com. They can also drop us a line through that thing they call email at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. The interweb. Mm -hmm. I hear it's a thing. Hey, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. All of the social media. And Instagram. Yep. And all your favorite online media players and stations.
and, and assistance. And uh, don't sue us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we might not be totally accessible. Because no, like, we don't have any money. Trust us. Go to, go to Apple. None go to us, Microsoft. None, none of us, us have any money. Uh, Miss Mendez, don't even bother. I got nothing. I, I hope nothing she's not a listener. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you want to take over the domain? <laughs> not, not, not for a few weeks. No. Anyway, so. right. Well, do you still want to tell people where they can find Canadian Institute Technology, or you just want to pass on that for the moment? How's our website accessibility? I, I, I'm not. I, it's pretty good. I think. I don't. Well, know. you can find us at uh, www.canastech.com. C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H. Dot com. Dot com. Merrick. Merrick. Mr. Chant, where can people find Chaos Technical Services? Um, and why would they want to? On the way, well, because I'm a good guy. No, because oh, you sorry. tell us all about the service <laughs> that you provide. <laughs> At Chaos Technical Services. Um, for years, I've been doing all kinds of AT, uh, focusing on um, blindness, low vision, uh, augmentative communication, etc., etc., etc. For some of the big names, um, I can be found online at www.chaostechnicalservices.com, or you can email me at chaostech at shaw.ca. Or Rick at chaostechnicalservices.com. Excellent. Okay, well, we'd love to thank uh, Colleen once again for, for sitting in and, and uh, joining us. More thank cowbell. You, more cowbell. More cowbell. I need more cowbell. No, don't. Oh, okay. He's doing it. He's too late. Too late. <laughs> there you go. Be careful your, what you wish for. Your token you, cowbell. You, you will get it. No, it was it was a yeah. pleasure uh, pleasure talking to you. Let's let's do this again. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Rick, thank you so much again for joining us too. Never an issue. All right, and uh, that's gonna about do it for this episode. Thanks everybody for listening in, and uh, we'll see you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Take.